Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Thomas Avenue Ceramics, where you can find everything from classic styles to trend-pushing patterns and plenty in between, all delivered right to your door. Yes, it's tile that comes right to your house. See my favorite tile picks at thomasavenueceramics.com YHL, and don't forget to use the code YHL20 to save 20% off your next order. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're talking about money. Like what exactly do we say when we're negotiating with contractors? And a money expert schools us on how to budget better, how to save up for a big purchase, and generally how to spend a lot smarter. Why don't you tell the people what we just found under the couch? Oh, I I had let Burger lick a can of chicken salad. Disgusting already, right? As that's happening, that's gross. I always do that. He likes to have the leftovers. Uh, I don't know how long ago this leftover was there, but uh, it had gotten a little bit moldy under the couch. It was like Santa's beard moldy. It was like white, fluffy mold. It did not alert us to its presence. That is totally true because you know when you come back from vacation, you know if your house smells. You can't tell day to day if your house smells. But when you have gone somewhere for a while and then you come back, you know, we've been going to Cape Charles a lot. We went to New York a lot. I think John did the math that in the last two weeks of August, we had only slept in our beds three nights. Four nights. Four four nights. nights. It would have been three, except we got halfway to Cape Charles and realized we forgot the key and had to come back. And we spent the night and left the next morning. Yeah, the mood in the car was not good when that happened. Anyways, we do have good news besides the moldy can that was under our couch. Right. And more cooking related news. Do you guys remember the vintage pink stove? It's like from the 1950s, I think 58. Um, It's pink and very glossy. It's sort of like it looks like cast iron enamel. So it's like super shiny. And I found it for like $195 and I vowed that we'd fix it up. It was being sold secondhand at this. How would you describe that place? Just like a consignment, like salvage place. And then we got it back to our house. And all that's left is for me to just get it repaired. I got a guy who is an electrician for appliances specifically. And he specializes in older appliances. So he can like source parts for this. And it's a very specific job. But I found the right man for the job. And how many months ago was that, John? Well, we talked about it in June, I think, is when we first shared it on the blog. But we actually purchased it in April. So it took from April to the end of August to actually get it fixed. Five months. Yes, it is now September and the stove is ready to be plugged in. But Because it, it actually a has a plug now. Yeah, it does have a plug. It used to have frayed wires that somehow you're supposed to hot wire into, I guess, to get power. Well, I think it just had been cut. Like the electrician had used those cut wires and like actually wired it straight into our circuit breaker of the garage to test it out originally. Yes, so we found this guy and I love him and he's the funniest man. And basically, I can describe the process as... Kind of like two random people befriending each other while working on an appliance together. You and the electrician? Yes, because I thought like, oh, this is him. But actually, we stood and talked through a lot of things together. I'm definitely not tooting my own horn because he did 95% of the heavy lifting. But there were moments when he couldn't figure something out. And I'd say, oh, but I think it runs through this wire. So it must be controlled by this element or this fuse. So it was like two people staring at the back of the stove. Picture a thousand wires. I'll post a picture in the show notes of what we were looking at. And just kind of figuring out what controlled what. The main issue was once he actually came the first time and hooked it up, we learned that like one of the elements in the oven was broken, the clock wasn't working, the light was out, like various things were just not running the way they should have in addition to it just not having like updated wiring. Right. We wanted for safety's sake, it needs to be grounded. It needs to have a three prong outlet now. You know, all these things that newer appliances have, this didn't come with. 
But the nice thing was that we sort of broke it down into little tasks. Like he would come out and say, okay, these bulbs are burnt out or will burn out. And then you'd have to drag this giant cast iron stove across the floor. Super heavy, guys. And so he was like, these are going to burn out. Do you want to replace them with LEDs? And I was like, yes. Anything we can do that we won't have to change in the future. You know, LEDs can last for decades and decades and decades. Instead of something burning out every five years and having to move the stove, I was all in for. So John and I sourced the bulbs and we got a few things like a screw to secure one of the doors that was banging it wasn't like screwed in correctly and he did things like figuring out how to get one of the elements to fire up it hadn't been working and actually in staring at the back we realized it's because something we thought was a light bulb hole was for a fuse one of those old-fashioned fuses that screw in like a bulb and so once we hunted down the right fuse for this 1950s stove the element fired up so it was like a mystery with two what am I looking for? Unseemly? Un- you know when two people are friends? Unseemly? No. When two people are friends. Unlikely? Yes. He's amazing. He was like, I'm going to figure out how to get this clock working. And I know I have a buddy who works with clocks. And oh, I'm going to call Frigidaire. They might have touch-up paint for this 1959 stove. Like all this amazing passion. And going into it, we thought it would be a few hundred bucks to fix it up. Well, after five months of working on something, it turns out you have to pay the man something for all that time. So he said he'd cap it at 500 to fix the whole thing up. So it ended up being around 700, right? Like 695 for the whole thing. But I still think it's a deal because most stoves that are 40 inches wide double oven are much more, 2,000, 3,000. So we kind of underestimated it, but it still ended up being a value, I think, and a good deal. It just sort of... It was not as straightforward as we expected. Let's just say that. The road was bumpy, but we made it out alive. Now we just have to lug the thing over to Cape Charles and delicately bring it into the kitchen once the kitchen exists. I know. Without scratching or bumping into anything on the way in. I was kind of thinking, what if we just put it there and then we refinish the floors around it? Because it's so heavy. (laughs) How can we possibly move it back in after the floors are refinished without scratching the floors? Lots of like cardboard or plywood on the floor to protect it. That's what we'll do. We'll do plywood because I don't even trust cardboard. I think we'd scratch right through it. We'll figure it out. Uh, But for my what's new, I actually wanted to do a follow-up to last episode's what's new where I talked about the new driveway that we got because you had this little throwaway line in it where you talked about negotiating the guy down $500. Because it's who I am as a person. Right, exactly. And we actually got a lot of questions on that. Like, wait, wait, wait. How did you negotiate him down $500? Like, this is an important detail. Right, we got voicemails asking. Someone commented on Instagram and said, I need the script. I literally need, like, he said, you said. So here it is, guys. Right. I'm breaking it down. Well, first... We've talked in the past about how we negotiate sometimes and you're like, number one tip is just to ask someone, is that your best price? And then just wait for them to answer. Just be silent. Like, don't fill the empty space while they contemplate it with, you know, backtracking or softening your statement. Just put the question out there and let them respond. Say it with a smile and sweetly wait. Because I know more than anyone, you're tempted to go like, I I mean, I know you need to make a living and I don't want to be pushy. But like, you're so embarrassed kind of to ask someone for a deal. But they're asking you for money, which is also awkward. Like, everyone needs to be happy with the trade-off. You're giving them the money and they're taking the money and performing a job. So it's totally natural natural and normal for people to negotiate. A lot of people, when they quote something, they actually build in padding expecting you to negotiate. Right. And this time we used a slightly different tactic when we were texting with this driveway guy. He gave us a quote and we responded to him to say, oh, that's a little bit more than we were hoping to spend. We were hoping to keep it below X. And X was $500 cheaper than the quote. 
I was giving him a specific number. I didn't even talk to John about it. I just, I've been doing so much negotiating over the beach house. I think I'm getting more direct. So I still totally stand by, is this your best price? <laughs> That's scary. A more direct Sherry. <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I just, there's no filter at all. And I said, oh, that's a little more than we're hoping. We're trying to get it in under X. And he said, I think I can work with that. So literally, if you're looking for the script, it was him saying, here's your quote. Me saying, oh, I was hoping to keep it under X. And him saying, I think I can make that work. And then when he came out, he said, yeah, to get it under that amount, we might need to come shave a little bit off this section. It came in like a foot not even. Well, so. <laughs> I think he felt like we were giving a little bit and he was giving a little bit. But I think the important part in that discussion was that like we told him a budget after he gave us our price. Like if we had given him a budget and it happened to be $1,000 more than he was going to quote us, he probably would have just quoted us that budget and we would have been like, okay, everybody's happy. Right. And I think also it signaled to him like we did have a cost in mind and if that he couldn't meet it, then he might not get the job at all or we might just not do the project. Like it wasn't really an ultimatum, but at the same time, he saw sort of like us putting our foot down at a price and it was up to him to figure out whether he wanted to accommodate it or not. Exactly. Just in general, guys, I know you're all looking for like this long script or all these like rebuttals. What I have found is that negotiating is one or two sentences. It's very quick. Another example that's real quick that I'll throw out is we're getting the floors refinished at the beach house and I expected them to come in at a certain price. They need lots of repairs. There are literally holes in the floor. People keep falling in the holes and cracking my drywalled ceilings below. Like there is such a problem with the floor at the beach house. So when the quote came back, I knew it'd be high, but it was even higher than I expected. I literally wrote back to her and said, I was hoping to get it under X amount. X was a thousand less because in my head, when I calculated it, I expected it to be X. I was not playing mind games and just going down a thousand arbitrarily. It was literally where I wanted it to be on yeah. my budget. You and I had said like, if we can get it for X, we'll feel good about this. Right. And she said, we were emailing. So she said, oh, I'm not sure I can do that because it needs extensive repairs. And you know what I did, guys? I didn't write back right away. I just let it sit there. You know what happened? She wrote back to me within 30 minutes and said, I figured it out. I changed the cost per square foot and lowered it a bit and it got it down a thousand dollars. The saving grace was that I hadn't written back and said, oh, that's okay. We'll make it work. Like, thanks for trying. Never I mind. I just let it sit. And I wouldn't say do that for eight days. Like, <laughs> then you're at a stalemate. But give something an hour or two to sit there. Same thing with the driveway guy. If he had texted me back, I'm sorry, it's firm. I might not have right away said, that's okay. I would have just let it sit there, maybe for six hours. Sherry likes to let people sweat. <laughs> like, she'll say, John, we need to talk. And then be silent for 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I'll say, can you get up and get me a snack? Yes, in which case I confess all my sins. <laughs> I apologize for things I've not done. <laughs> well, and actually, Sherry, speaking of money, we are going to give a call right now to Daniel Rodriguez. He is also known as Dr. Budgets, and he calls himself a money coach. And we figured he would be a good person to give a ring to to figure out if we can get some good budgeting tips for anyone out there. So here we go. <laughs> are we waiting for my reaction? <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say Whee! that. Saving money. <laughs> I really do. So here he is. Hello. Hello. Hey, John. Hey, Sherry. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I figured the first thing we should sort of ask for anyone who's unclear is like, what exactly is a money coach? If you boil it down, a money coach is someone that helps people with their spending habits. So it just works on how to get the most out of your money. And then it's coaching people around that. So it's different than like a financial planner, as someone might think about it, because you're not necessarily like managing stock portfolios or something like that. You're actually looking at the sort of daily spending habits of 
people and families to figure out where they can find money they didn't know existed. Absolutely. Yeah. And as uh, I used to be a financial advisor and yeah, I don't touch the investment part. And uh, yeah, I just really dive into the budgeting, saving money. And and really, it comes down to those habits. You know, we all kind of come in with our own money habits. And I help shift them so that people can not only spend money on things that are important to them, but also achieve the goals that they have set out for themselves. That's a kind word shift. It's funny because some of my friends say, oh, I'm the spender, but he's the saver. Or they describe themselves both as spenders in the relationship. So to hear you say the word shift is interesting so that maybe anyone listening who thinks I am just a spender, it's who I am, it's really hard for me, or my husband or wife or partner is just a spender and there's no way to change them. It's, I guess, encouraging to hear that you could shift those habits, especially with some guidance, maybe free guidance on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's funny when I work with a couple uh, and they're both quote unquote spenders, it's actually easier to shift their habits because they both get on the bandwagon and they encourage each other. Uh, when you have a spender and a saver, that's actually a little more challenging because then it, it's it's a little bit of a different of a dynamic. I figure when you have one person who's already a saver, they probably think it's just the other person who's the problem and they need the fixing. Yeah, I've had people come to me. They say, well, you know, my wife is spending too much over here. And, and then the funny thing is, once we dive into it, he might be just as big of a, a problem just in a different way. And so I think it's always funny to see that where the other one thinks it's the other person. But when I look at it, it's actually both. What would you say to someone who's like, I'm fine. I I try to scrimp and save every time I go to the store and I cut coupons. So I don't need a budget. I think the answer to that can be summarized in a quote that I really like. Um, A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I find that a lot of people who don't have a budget, when they do spend money, oftentimes they feel uh, maybe a little bit of a guilt because they don't know how much they have to spend in maybe a certain category or in general. Whereas if, if you have a budget and you're putting so much to savings, you're putting so much toward paying off debt, if there is debt in the picture, and then you say, oh, well, this much is for travel, this much is for home improvement, this much is for dining out, and then you stick to that, there's no real guilt. It's like, oh, yeah, I was within my budget and I'm still saving here, I'm paying off debt here. I think that's really the biggest thing is it allows allows you to tell your money where to go rather than just wondering why you don't have any money left. That's a really interesting way to frame it because I'll admit Sherry and I don't really have a formal budget. We kind of loosely just watch funds and make sure that we still have things available. But I think because we haven't gone through the process of bucketing to say like, you know, this is how much we're going to spend on entertainment and movies or whatever, then I think every time we spend on entertainment and movies, we have to make that decision and we sort of might have a little bit of guilt attached to it because we know that could go somewhere else, maybe quote unquote, more productive. I had the exact same reaction. When you said there's no guilt, I was like, oh, that's why people have a budget. (laughs) I may already be a convert, Daniel. (laughs) But I guess the thing that gets in my way sometimes is budgeting sometimes sounds very intimidating, like all these charts and spreadsheets that you're always constantly having to update and log. How would you sort of convince someone who might be budget averse for that reason? Like, is there an easy way to do it? I'd say so. There are several free softwares out there and some are paid. The one that I use with my clients is called mint.com. I think a lot of people have probably heard of that. I'm not a promoter of Mint. That's just what I use. And it it basically links up with your bank accounts and credit cards. So all the transactions actually flow into one place. So it'll like automatically feed in your credit card bill and, you know, know that when you go to Kroger, that means groceries. And when you go to Old Navy, that's clothing. 
Correct. And if it doesn't initially, you can train it to do so. There's a way to say, well, no, this is always restaurants or this is always, you know, groceries. Um, then you can start seeing it in real time and then you can set your budgets within it. And then you you can look at it and say, oh, okay, uh, dining out, I'm good. Uh, looks like entertainment. Oh, I blew that one already. So maybe I shouldn't spend any money there anymore. So you can kind of see it in real time. And if you're on it, fairly consistently. I usually tell my clients, hey, do it once once a week or twice a week and just kind of update and make sure everything's in the right spot. Then your budgets will be up to date. And I think that makes it easy. So when you work with someone, once they've figured out what they're currently spending and what categories their money's going towards, what's sort of the next step to figure out how to shave and start actually saving money? When I work with people, that first step is, where's the money going? Once we have that, I like to find some what I call easy ways to save money. You know, it could be something as simple as, you know, cutting the cord. I know this is something you've mentioned in one of your podcasts, right? So I might ask, okay, I see you're spending $200 a month on your cable internet phone bill. You know, do you watch a lot of TV? And you'd be surprised. I ask that question. Some people say, you know what, I don't really watch a lot of TV. And so then it's a matter of getting deeper into that conversation is, is would you be open to maybe cutting that down? or cutting it out completely. So some of these are easy where I when I ask the question, I might say, um, oh, I see you have two gym memberships. Do you use them? And I might say, oh, I use one of them, but I don't use the other one. So, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of cutting some of those easy ones. Uh, and then the next step is looking at what I call the, the harder ones. You know, if somebody's spending a lot of money on dining out or, or the coffee shop, you know, it, it might be a matter of asking, hey, do you you get a lot of value out of those trips. For me, it's just getting into that conversation of value. You know, are you getting value out of the money that you're spending? And if the answer to that is no, is how can we shift that? So you either A, you can spend it on something where you do get value, like maybe somebody hasn't taken a vacation for years. And it's just a matter of shifting some of these things to where they can take the vacation and hopefully at the same time still save some money. I think what you're saying is totally true because I have noticed when we spend a little bit of money for something and we feel like it was this amazing amazing return. An example is we spend $5 for this service called ClickList through our grocery store and they get all the groceries and we pull up in a special parking spot and for $5 they run all the groceries to our car and we go home. We never unstrap the kids. We literally don't go in the store. I'm going there right after this call. Yeah. (laughs) It saves us so much time, probably an hour spent in the store for $5. That is worth the money to us. And also what we've discovered is it saves us tons of money on groceries because when we bring the kids in, the kids want all these impulse purchases. We can't remember if we bought mustard. We buy mustard three times. And when we place the order at home, we can look so we're not double buying things. And so... That is an example to me of $5 that's so well spent, and it helps me because I hold it up as a comparison point for other ways we spend money. So I think anyone listening at home, if you can think of something you really super find value from, you know, whether it's you pay your cleaning lady once every two weeks and it's the best money you ever spent because it saves you lots of time and energy that you can spend with your family, anything like that, if you have a membership to a, a pool and your kids go and you have the best time, I think that helps you hold it up as a comparison to other ways you spend money and see if it's as valuable to you. I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, and I was wondering, are there any sort of common categories that when you work with people, you find over and over again that that's a smart place to look like? Should everyone take a look at their clothing spending or their food spending? I'm I'm sure there's not one easy answer, but I'd be curious to know if you see over and over again something popping up as an area where we're generally spending too much in. 
the two that really come to mind are the the TV internet phone. More and more people seem to be cutting the cord um, and finding just cheaper alternatives to consuming, you know, the same entertainment or better. Uh, and then cell phone is another one where I see, you know, just now they have the new unlimited plans and, and just the cell phone plans just are constantly changing and evolving. And it feels like in you can get a better deal. So if you had something from a year ago, uh, there might be a better plan today. Those are the two main ones that come to mind. The other one that I think encompasses a lot of different things is looking at any sort of debt. So whether it's a mortgage or second mortgage or credit card or auto payments, maybe somebody didn't have such great credit when they got their auto loan and they had a high interest rate, but now their credit has improved uh, and they can refinance it at maybe a uh, credit union and, and they can get a much lower interest rate. What's so interesting about those is I feel like all those three you listed are ones that most of us take for granted as the sort of givens. Right. They're like fixed. You're stuck with those, right? Don't even look at them. But it's interesting that you say, no, look at them. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like, you know, see if you can eat out less, something that would require a big maybe habit change for you or a big sort of change in your enjoyment of life. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> going and just, you know, refinancing a loan or looking at a new cell phone plan at the end of the day probably is the same on your, you know, day to day life. Yeah, John and I looked at each other because we're like, we don't have an unlimited cell phone I was like, plan. What is our cell phone plan? I don't <laughs> even know. I just that bill auto pays. Yeah. And actually, two things on that. I mean, number one, I always look for the easy ones first, because it builds momentum. But sometimes to reach the goals, yeah, you do have to make some of those adjustments in the other areas. I, I'm a big fan of ways where you can save money and where it's good for your health. So one of my favorite ones there is um, getting water. I found that if a family of four who gets the soda when they eat out, that equals, you know, $1,000 per year. I love that. I'm like, wow, $1,000 of soda a year is probably just John. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I do my Aquatober where I break my soda habit for one month in October and I do only water. So I do see that cost savings. I just have trouble sticking with it the 11 months of the year (laughs) after that. (laughs) One Aquatober, I think he kept going for like four months after that. So maybe I'll campaign a little harder since it I never thought about that but it definitely I always get water usually our kids get water maybe it would set a good example if daddy got water too because some places you don't even know how much it is you go to a restaurant it's not anywhere on the menu it's oh it was four dollars for a soda I remember John and I went out to a restaurant early dating like real early in New York City and it, John doesn't drink so I got like a cocktail and John got a soda and later when he looked at the bill it was a seven dollar soda <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, really? Seven dollars? They didn't even refill it. <laughs> <laughs> well, once someone has established a budget, do you have any tricks for sticking with it? Because I feel like that's the other pitfall that I have sometimes is we will start one, we'll start keeping track, and then we will just kind of forget to check it anymore. I'd say the biggest thing there, I mean, the reason um, why people hire a money coach is the accountability, but you don't necessarily need to hire a money coach for the accountability. That accountability can come in a myriad of ways. You know, I always say this when I meet with people that uh, a money coach is like a personal trainer for your money. But not everybody necessarily needs a personal trainer, right? So you could have a, you know, a workout buddy, somebody that you work out with. So as a couple, you could maybe hold each other accountable if that works. Maybe set a calendar reminder and mix it with something fun, right? Something that you enjoy doing. And I always tell people like wine and budgeting, right? Big old soda for John. <laughs> <laughs> Big old soda for John. You know, I know money is one of those taboo things. Not everybody wants to talk about it with other people. But, you know, if people can get past that, then you could have somebody else hold you accountable. Like, 
a friend. Like, hey, I need to look at my budget. Ask me every month if I looked at it and how I did, right? So um, accountability, I think, is is number one, as it is with anything, right? Whether it's a fitness goal or a financial goal or, or really any type of a goal. Do you have a specific story that you could share with us of someone you've helped find ways to save and maybe, you know, change their lifestyle in some meaningful way? Um, so I had this couple, they came to me, the the wife uh, had a business and it was growing every year a little bit. Uh, and then the husband had just a regular nine to five type of job. And uh, they were both spenders, self-proclaimed. You know, they had racked up some debt and then they had... Um, gotten some help from their parents to help pay off the debt. So now they owe the parents and then they got back into debt, but they didn't want to tell the parents. And I believe they were about $30,000 in debt at that point. And really when it came down to it for them to really make significant progress to their goal, uh, the dining out for them was the big area. They were averaging like 12 to $1,500 per month dining out. I'm not a big fan of reducing it more than 50% because I think then we get into the area of like, oh, this is too much. I don't want to, I don't want to. Yeah, otherwise it's too painful and you'll fall off the wagon. Exactly, right. So so in this situation, it was 800. I, I was like, okay, I think that's a reasonable amount. And so with them, and I don't do this with everybody, but with them, it made sense to do cash. So they took out 800 in cash on the first of the month. And then once that cash was gone, their dining out budget was gone, right? So that's a real easy way to know how you're doing. Well, the money's gone. So no more dining out. And they they did that. And they stuck to it really, really closely. You know, I remember the first few months were a little rocky. They, were, they had to take out a little more cash or they end up using the, the card for it. But after it clicked and they saw how much debt was paid down that month, from that point forward, it was like a domino effect. It just They were on it. They were paying down debt. They completely wiped out the 30000 that they had. Uh, they never needed to tell the parents about it. And then they started paying down the parents' debt. Um, and now I'm still working with them. I think by the end of this year, they'll be sitting on, on $20,000 in savings. And the, and the habits are just there. It's just second nature to them now. And it's just really awesome to see. That's so interesting about the cash tip, though, too, because you related saving money to sort of a, you know, working out and fitness a few times. And it reminded me of a time a long time ago when Sherry and I did this sort of like eating plan once that came with these like literal containers that your like carbs for the day or your veggies for the day were supposed to fit in those containers. And once you had... It was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Once you had used up your containers for the day, you didn't have any more. Like, so you really at the beginning, yes, it was very, very tough to like figure out how I was going to survive. But you know why? I think the containers were more than 50% smaller than our usual servings. (laughs) And therefore, it was not sustainable. (laughs) But I do totally get how if you take out the cash and you see the envelope getting thinner, it might tip you over into making small day-to-day choices. Like you will order the water. You will go on the night where kids eat free. You will do these things to save money every time so that the envelope stays full till the end because it's terrible to run out and, you know, like have two weeks of cooking at home because you spend too much the first two weeks. Well, and, and to close out the <laughs> eating analogy for us, like after we had done this for a couple of weeks, like we didn't have to use the literal containers anymore because our habits had shifted and we had a, a sense of how much, you know, fit into that food budget without right. actually referring back to it. So you might not have to be on cash forever in your life, but you use that sort of a trial period to readjust your, your habits. Right. It's just about looking at where your money's going and making sure you're getting value out of it. And I meant to ask you a second ago about goal setting too, because I know a lot of people are driven to save when they have 
a particular goal in mind, like they're trying to save up to buy their house or to pay off debt. How do you use goal setting in your business to help people sort of lock in their budgets? One of my first questions when somebody has a, a consultation with me is, what are you trying to achieve? Like, what are your goals? Because if somebody has a wishy-washy goal and, or they're not really sure, uh, chances are they won't make the necessary adjustments to get there. But if they come to me and they have a very strong goal, it's much more likely that that goal will be more important than whatever day-to-day things they might have been doing. You know, if the dining out was 1200 they're much more likely to go to 800 because that goal is more important than the extra $400 in spending. Are there any practical things people should do to keep that goal in their sights? Like, let's say someone is trying to save up for a big renovation, for instance. Like, do you create a separate bank account for that? Do you have a colored chart on the wall like a fundraiser, you know, and like fill up the thermometer? <laughs> I feel like I would love to color in a fundraiser chart myself. <laughs> well, I guess I'll give you two examples. Uh, and number one, in terms of the separate savings account, I would say that's absolutely the fantastic idea because then you can see it grow. And my big thing there is just make sure you can get an account that doesn't have fees. <laughs> but that's a good one. But in terms of visual, with my clients, I, I use something called a goal tracker. And so um, if they have debt that they're paying down, it's just a simple one page chart. It'll just, you know, have this trajectory like, hey, here's kind of the path that you're on. And then every month we're tracking it. And so then they can see every month as they pay down debt exactly how much closer they are to basically getting to zero. And you can get super creative with this. So my wife is is the creative one in the relationship. So we have our goal. We're uh, saving for a house. And my wife put together this, um, it's like this little house with balloons that aren't colored in. Have you ever seen the movie Up? And each balloon represents a certain dollar amount. And then as we say, we're filling in the balloons. And once all the balloons are filled up, then that means we're at our at our goal for the, the house down payment. And then we can go out and get our house. That's so cute. <laughs> I love the balloons. You should put her on payroll with all those good ideas. Yeah, well, she is 50% owner of Dr. Budget. Oh, so. good. <laughs> Dr. and Mrs. Budget. <laughs> That's right. Oh, well, thank you so much, Daniel. It's been awesome to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Can't wait to hear the show. If you guys want to get some more money-saving tips from Daniel, we're going to put a link to his website in our show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. On his website, he's got an ebook that you can download for free, actually, that's called 10 Ways to Save $10,000. So there's more tips in there. Also, in the show notes, I'll put a link to that website he recommended for budgeting, mint.com. So you guys can check that out, too, if you would like. And we'll link to that diet we hated with the containers. <laughs> no. It truly was torture. <laughs> it was not that bad. John didn't mind it. John also lost like 15 pounds like all guys do without even trying. And I ate like nothing but nuts and seeds for three weeks and still ate the same. So that obviously will not be Sherry's we're digging. <laughs> no, it won't. But, I have a good one. Okay. But first, we have to take a quick break. This week's episode is brought to you by Thomas Avenue Ceramics, an online tile store where you can find everything from classic subway tile to exclusive patterns, styles, and colors, all of which can be delivered right to your door. And as much as I'm on the classic subway train, pun intended, I wanted to ask Jeff, one of Thomas Avenue's co-founders, this question. What's a different tile you might recommend that's still going to look classic, but maybe isn't as ubiquitous as the white subway tile trend? First off, subway tile will never go out of style. Secondly, we also have 4x12 subway, so it takes the old and brings it into the new with the larger format. And then dimensional. Dimensional is hot today. Is that the kind with like the bevel around the edge? 
Exactly. That from our Contempo collection is one, and that has a ton of different options to look at. But if you get stuck, for example, we have the chat option that we always recommend you go to. What's just on the website doesn't mean that's everything we can get for you. To see the tile Jeff's describing, head over to thomasavenueceramics.com slash YHL, where you'll also see that chat window he's talking about. I've also rounded up my 10 favorite tiles over there for you guys, so if you've ever wanted me to redo a room for you, I really have chosen these myself, just like I would if you called me and said, help me pick a new bathroom tile. And while you're there, don't forget to use code YHL20 to get 20% off your next tile order. That's all at thomasavenueceramics.com slash YHL. So this week, my we're digging involves mermaids. Are you intrigued? Didn't you already have a we're digging that was mermaids? Yes. So it was mermaid pillows. Yes. Now I'm branching out, you guys, and it's mermaid fabric. (laughs) (laughs) You can now buy it by the yard. I'm going to link to a bunch of it in the show notes because I'm obsessed with it. And the reason I realized it was a worthy thing to buy. Wait, wait, wait. You need to explain the mermaid because I think for people who didn't hear the old episode, they're thinking like it has Prince of Mermaids on it or something. Oh, okay, guys. So ready. In episode, what was it? 30. 30, I mentioned mermaid pillows. It's these sequins sewn into pillows that when you rub them up one direction, they make a color change. And when you brush them down, the color changes again. So each side of the sequins that are stitched to completely cover the pillow, you can directionally change them. So if you swipe your hand and drag it up on the pillow, you might see green. And if you rub your hand down, you might see blue. And so you can make different patterns. and You can write the words hi. You can make a peace sign. Only the words hi. I once drew a butt on one. There's lots of things you can do. And so I went into a very fancy shop in Cape Charles, a jewelry store. Yes, I believe it's called Moonrise Jewelry. It's so cute, you guys. And they had canvases essentially that had been wrapped in mermaid fabric. And all you do is staple gun it to the back. But they could rub their hands all over and it looked like abstract sequin art. But the uh, cool thing I thought about it was because it was a jewelry store and we had our children in the jewelry store. This was a very smart thing because the kids were playing with this fabric, which I think she had what put on like the front of the checkout in addition to having it on the walls. So it was on the walls and the kids couldn't play with it on the walls, but the entire... um, I call it cash wrap because I worked at Express for many years. But like where the cash register is, is wrapped in the fabric. And so when kids are standing there, even, you know, knee high, it's down to the floor. They could write summer. Yay. You know, draw a bus, draw a flower. I thought you were going to say a butt again. No, not a butt. I I draw butts. I'm the grown up. (laughs) You draw the line for the children. No butts. (laughs) No butts. No butts for kids. But anyway, I thought it was really smart because all the kids could be breaking everything in the store, but they're all playing with that fabric. They were not touching the jewelry because the fabric was there. So I think it's a cool idea like if you had a playroom or a kids room or something as sort of a tactile activity wall something. Right. You could totally take it and cover a cork board with it or just take a frame and take the glass out. A piece of plywood. Exactly. A piece of plywood. Yeah, I found some on Amazon afterwards uh, and we'll put the links to those in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. Yeah, I'm also going to put the pictures of her shop so you can see what I mean. I took some pictures on my phone. They're not great, but you'll get the concept of how the cash register was treated and how it looked in the wall art. I just think it was really creative. So don't forget to go to the show notes. Sometimes in the comments on Facebook and Instagram, people say, oh, I wanted to see blah. And it's in the show notes. So younghouselove.com slash podcast. And then you click into the episode. So this is episode 63. Well, my word digging, which you can also see at younghouselove.com slash podcast, <laughs> is actually something that we've had for going on four years. It is an air mattress for kids. And we were using it recently because we were traveling with the kids last month before school started. 
And the reason I like this thing is because it's toddler size. So we bought it when our daughter transitioned from the pack and play to sleeping in a real bed. And it's by this company called The Shrunks, like shrink, but shrunk. And it's about 70 bucks. So it's not like super cheap, but I think it's pretty comparable to other air mattresses. And because it's just toddler size, it's about a foot and a half shorter and six inches narrower than a normal twin size air mattress. And so it's been really handy for us because it fits a lot better. In little rooms, like with a hotel not a lot room, of space. like even the closet at my parents' beach house, it will fit. So like she almost right. gets her own little private room. Because keep in mind, we still have a pack and play in the mix for our son. So right. there, there's a lot of floor space taken up by pack and play air mattress. Right. And she's seven and she's fairly tall for her age. And like she fits it just fine. And it does also, the other reasons I like it is it has like a couple of rails that come up on the sides. They're like inflatable, kind of as big as like a pool noodle. So Think they don't of like roll out. at a bowling alley when the bumpers come up. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. So it is good for a younger toddler who's just getting used to sleeping in a big kid bed. And also for that 70 bucks, you get an air pump included. And so this thing inflates really fast. It actually, you can switch the setting on the air pump and actually deflate it really fast too. And it fits in just like a little small sack. So we have had ours for almost four years and have had no issues with it ripping or losing air. So it's held up really well. Oh, and also I should add, it has kind of like a velvet top to the part where the kids sleep. So it doesn't make all those like farty air mattress noises. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And as the old saying goes, a bird in the hand is worth nothing compared to a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. Or is it an Apple Podcast review a day keeps the doctor away? It's one of those. Well, however it goes, we really appreciate all of you who've taken a minute or two to let someone know you're enjoying our podcast. And we really appreciate knowing what you do while you listen. Like Jane B, who was vacationing in Europe and listened to us on the train between Edinburgh, Scotland, and London, England. Or is it Edinburgh? Edinburgh. Hmm. And don't forget to check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Like Dr. Budget's 10 ways to save $10,000. And some pictures of that mermaid fabric in action. Later. Bye. We are going to give a call right now to Daniel. Tiger. No. <laughs> I don't know. If you guys watch Daniel Tiger as much as we do, he's very nice. He's a good example for children. Right. <laughs> he's doing all the podcasts. He's on the podcast circuit at the moment. He really is talking about sharing and manners.